1: Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're with me, Benjamin Moshadama, on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Moshadama, for this next hour. Every day from Monday to Thursday, we look at the big topics on the continent of Africa. Today, we're looking at the big one, the departure of Yaya Jame uh, from Gambia, also known as The Gambia by the Gambians themselves, and also the ushering in of the new administration under President Adama Barrow, The departure of Gambia's former president Yaya uh, Jame uh, from Banjul 12 days ago brings to an end a remarkable uh, confrontation between the autocrat and other leaders of West Africa, the African Union and the United Nations. Also offers important lessons for those seeking to advance the cause of democracy and the rule of law on the continent uh, uh, more generally. As a result, this is a victory for the people of the Gambia the forces of democracy on the continent, and not least, but finally, Adama Barrow, who defeated Yamey in the December 1st national election. Now we want to look at the challenges, the opportunities for the new demonstration, asking the question, is this a new era for the Gambia? On the line, we've got uh, Jiggen Gray Johnson, the expert who uh, is back with us this week. He's a communications and advocacy officer with the Africa Governance Monitoring and Advocacy Project. And also on the line, we'll be joined by other guests. But let me start with you, Jiggen Gray, looking at uh, where we are when it comes to the Gambia. As I highlighted in my intro, is this a new era uh, for the Gambia? I'm sure this is a hopeful moment, not only for the country, but also for the continent.
0: Yeah, I think um, it is, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's a cheerful moment because at least um, for, for once in a, in, a, in a very long time, um, a good story is being told, um, a positive outcome um, of regional cooperation with the support of a continental body, the AU, and obviously the UN, um, making sure that uh, voices of the people are amplified and the wishes of the people are respected, the Constitution is respected, and um, a tyrant that have been in power for um, two decades and two years um, has actually been shown the door. So it is a positive story all around.
1: Well, Jugan, the last time we spoke, we were not as optimistic as now because it was the period where after the announcement of uh, uh, the Gambia elections where uh, Adama Barrow was declared as the winner of those elections, we saw Yaya Jammeh actually turning back and saying, well, he does not accept that particular victory. And I know we had a very doomy and gloomy prediction for the Gambia. What do you think was the pressure uh, that culminated to seeing Yaya Jami leaving the Gambia?
0: I think the pressure was military. I mean, nothing else. Jami has been under pressure for for at least uh, the better part of the last uh, four or five years of his his rule, Um, especially between 2015 and 2016. Things were extremely difficult for him. He'd been isolated uh, diplomatically. He was isolated uh, economically. And also, um, generally amongst his peers, um, for the better part of his of his rule, has not really been regarded with much respect, by virtue of the fact that he's never been granted the privilege um, of even holding a post of either chairperson of ECOWAS or chairperson of the AU, and these posts are done on a rotational basis. Um, he was in power for 22 years, 20 years of which he was a civilian rule, and he wasn't accorded um, these privileges and this honour. So clearly. Um, I think he was—he's been under a lot of pressure for a long time, but and, mm-hmm. and that has mm-hmm. that didn't shift the sands in any way, shape, or form. But I think when he was faced with the, with the might of um, Ecomog in this case, Ecomig, um, Ecowas uh, military intervention in the Gambia, um, I think he was really his back was against the wall, and I think at this point in time it was literally high noon. he he he, he, he had to either leave, mm-hmm. or he would have been forced out. That's the main reason. There was no other reason.
1: We know that there were conditions that were set for the exit of uh, former President Jaja Jami. Do we know those particular uh, issues or details of of those uh, conditions?
0: Well, the conditions are quite controversial um, Mm -hmm. in the sense that uh, um, if you look at the document, um, it was uh, purportedly uh, put together... By the um, uh, African Union, the United Nations, and ECOWAS itself, mm. um, and in essence, basically what he says was that uh, his family would not be witch hunted he wouldn't be witch hunted he wouldn't be prosecuted, his family wouldn't be prosecuted um, he'd be given some kind of an immunity to keep all his properties um, and also the right of return at some point in time or at any time that of his of his choosing now. You know, one can look at the document and say that, well, really, it's not worth the paper is written on because it's non-binding. Mm. Um, it's a political document. It is not a legal document. Um, so as a result, um, there is no way that ECOWAS or the UN or the AU um, has got a say um, as to granting a blanket pardon um, to a president who's been accused. Um, and in some cases, there is some evidence that he was in charge at the helm when people have disappeared, people were tortured, people were killed, etc. Um, wanton abuse of human rights um, 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 in, in that country. Um, so as a result, you cannot now claim that you can give them some kind of an amnesty or indemnity mm-hmm. when the victims are still in the country, when the victims' um, widows and orphans are still waiting for their own, um, 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 you know, for, 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 for them to be given closure. Mm-hmm. So as a result, it's quite clear that uh, that particular document is non-binding. And also, even more curiously, is the fact that um, um, President Adam O'Bara's team had said that they weren't consulted. Um, we're not sure how true that is, but um, that's certainly what one of the spokespersons claimed, that they weren't consulted, so as a result, um, they don't recognize this particular this particular document and this particular um, indemnity or or, or, um, pardon that was given um, within the different um, um, international organizations.
1: Well, you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm speaking to Jurgen Gray-Johnson, who's joining us from uh, Joburg, South Africa. He is the Communications and Advocacy Officer with the Africa Governance and Monitoring and Advocacy Project. And uh, we're going to move on uh, to West Africa uh, and go to Dakar Senegal, where we're joined by uh, Fatou Jacne, who is uh, from uh, uh, the Human Rights Organization called Article 19. He's the West Africa Regional Director of Human Rights, the Human Rights Organization. Fatou, thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for inviting us. Well, Fatou, it's a, a celebration of sorts. Uh, we're seeing actually a, a, f- a form of reform already with the sentiments that are already being made uh, by the current president of the Gambia. I don't know there if we've lost Fatou there. I know that it's an international line because uh, we're trying to get through to Dakar, Senegal. Fatou, are you still there? okay we've lost uh, for two there well let's take a quick break remember we want to hear from you give us your thoughts on the political situation in the Gambia do you think this is a way forward and what do you actually expect from the new president of uh, the Gambia Adama Barrow give us your thoughts on uh, that one at channel Africa one uh, that's the numeric one at the end at channel Africa one or at uh, African dialogue that's our two uh, Twitter handles that you can contact us or give us your thoughts via email you can email us info at channelafrica.org. We'll come back to our guests after this break. Good news for our listeners in America. You can now
0: listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605 So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605 47 one, seven, double one Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: Agro Africa, hello. From the first Wednesday of this month, Agro Africa will be coming to you at 9:20 a.m. Central African Time, and on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Central African Time. Tune in to AgroAfrica and listen to stories about agriculture and its development in the African continent. We are on shortwave, internet live streaming, and DSTV audio bouquet channel 802. AgroAfrica, bringing agriculture to the comfort of your home. AgroAfrica. AgroAfrica. Well, you're listening to Channel Africa, the time right now in Central African Republic time. It's uh, 16 minutes past 11 o'clock. And you're still with me, Benjamin Moshata, i right here on African uh, Dialogue. Let's see if we can connect with Fatou Jagne, who is joining us in Dakar, Senegal, representing uh, the human rights organization called Article 19. Fatou Jagne is the West Africa Regional Director in that organization. Fatou, thank you for giving us your time. Thank you. Yes, that's a much better line now. Uh, let's just look at uh, what's happening in the Gambia. We know that this is a good moment for West Africa as a whole, and also in terms of the pressure that we saw from ECOWAS. I know specifically Senegal also was uh, an, an authority in terms of convincing Jame uh, to relinquish power. In, in terms of that particular pressure itself... Why was this the moment that actually was one that uh, saw so much pressure and so much uh, uh, real, real effort from the region?
2: Yeah, first of all, to say that
1: uh, it was very important to have this regional
2: solidarity. Uh, And the first one of the moments that we, in West Africa and in Africa, we can say we are proud of our institutions because I think election is a very critical moment in the life of a country and everybody knows what was happening in the Gambia for the past 22 years, an oppressive regime that doesn't allow, that never allowed the opponent to, to express these views. All the tenants of, 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 of the government have been blocked, hijacked by one person. And despite all the challenges, the Gambians managed, within, in the diaspora, to, to organize themselves in a very, very interesting manner to defeat this kind of regime. Everybody was taken by surprise, including even the neighbors. And I think that was very important for ECOWAS to step in because ECOWAS knows all the violations that mm-hmm. were committed in Dujandria. Uh You remember, in 2011, ECOWAS decided even not to go and observe the election. Mm-hmm. The election, ECOWAS sent a very small team because they didn't even believe that election will, you know, will will will, will change the game. Mm-hmm. And that was very important. So when they saw this thing, they said Gambians have managed and are organized, and they mean business. So we cannot just let them down this time around. We cannot let them down, and we have to ensure that the regional mechanisms are enforced. And that is why all those mechanisms were activated, and Senegal so yeah. played a leadership role, because, you know, also election violence was almost like uh, on the, on the, on the, on, on uh, was was, 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 sort of Imminent, mm, And mm, Senegal mm. understood that mm. if the situation broke in the Gambia, mm. it will have major implications in Senegal. You see the refugee uh, people will leave Gambia, and also the security in the region will be jeopardized. And Senegal took a leadership role, which was very important, activated all its network within the UN uh, Security Council, the ECOWAS. And I think that was very unprecedented, but very interesting development. And I think that saved the country. But the most important thing, Gambians were determined. They were very calm, they were quiet, but everybody knew that also on the 19th, if Jammeh resisted, people would come out. But people were so organized, because, you know, everybody was like repressed, Uh, uh, uh. citizens, journalists, uh, even uh, uh, like opponents, and people just realized that they didn't want the confrontation at some stage. They wanted to calm down to organize themselves, mobilize within the country. And if you look at the trend between the 9th to the 9th of December, when he uh, refused the election results, until the 19th, people were organizing internally. And there were lots of internal pressure also in the families, in civil service to just inform people that the country matters more than your individual interests. The country matters more than, you know, the support you may have for this guy because he's going to leave anyway. And I think that Mm -hmm. also has paid. You have the external pressure, but there was lots lots of work done, especially in the military and especially within the families, to ensure that he will not get support, to brutalize against
1: the country. Mm. Well, you know, as was highlighted by Jürgen Gray Johnson, before I go back to him, I want to pick your brain a bit uh, for two. It was the fact that there were those particular uh, real conditions set out for Jamei to leave. One of the areas that Jürgen Gray Johnson highlighted was the fact that there shouldn't be a, a witch hunt against uh, Jaja Jame and his uh, family. But we know also that, is that uh, issue of uh, the International Criminal Court also standing by looking at this uh, situation as well in terms of, uh, you know, some of the incitements against uh, human rights and the violation of human rights uh, by Jaja Jameh and his government. Don't you think that makes things more complex as well? Uh, yeah, I think it will, go- will be very complex. And I
2: think the the way the, the new government Try to go about it might be the way, because I think if you have a system that uh, has involved so many people over the years, and then all these brutalities that we've witnessed and we've documented, I think it's important that first the con- country stabilizes and the country also starts to think of reconciling with itself, because we need reconciliation in The Gambia, there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. So, of course, uh, people have to account for the atrocities but how? What mechanism is to be in place? I think that's the most important thing, and we need to think it through. It has to be consultative. We have to mm-hmm. make sure that people, especially the victims, because what we believe also the victims should be at the heart of any process, because they are the major stakeholders, and we need also to ensure that they are healed, they get closure, because a lot of atrocities have happened in that country. So we cannot just also sweep it under the carpet, mm-hmm. but I think we need also to refine a process that will get adherence from many actors, but also that is sustainable, that will yield to some kind of justice in the long term. Because the most important thing is to get the truth, to make sure that everybody gets the information they need about this process, but also to get the victim to be appeased and to know that they adhere to the system and the outcome will be accepted later on. Obviously, Mm. uh, some of the crimes Mm. that that are committed, that have been committed over the years, will also have to be catalogued and remedies will be found. But I think we need to do it through a very very legal process, a process Mm -hmm. that will really respect the rule of law and that will not be seen as, you know, like a witch hunting or selective justice. We need to be very, very consistent with the process that will be in place in the coming
1: months. Jogan Gray, coming to you, what are your thoughts on some of these uh, views coming from Fatu, saying that it has to be a consultative process, it has to be one that actually follows a legal court procedure. Your thoughts on how to take some of these uh, issues forward, especially some of these violations that we saw uh, during uh, uh, former President Jaya Jame's term?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree um, totally with uh, Fati's observations and uh, some of the some of the opinions that she has and put forward um, um, quite rightly. Um, I think um, also, you know, we we, we need to be um, realistic um, and also we need to appreciate the 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 scale of the challenge that Gambia faces currently. Um, Yes, Spata talked about um, the issues of tackling impunity, um, certainly from a human rights perspective and i and I understand one hundred percent with her um, and I agree with her on that but then there are other issues also that has to do with impunity that 's not necessarily only human rights but that has to do with corruption, um, the land grabbing issue um, and also basically the abuse of the fiscus. And other things like that. I mean all of these things um, need to be looked into because currently as it stands there have been very high expectations that have been raised. Um, I don't think those expectations are being properly managed as, as we stand as, as we speak now currently. Um, President Barrow has come in and he's inherited a very difficult situation. Um, Tourism was a major foreign receipt earner. It dipped by 60% in 2014 and it has not recovered. A 1,000 tourists were repatriated um, for the fear that there might be political instability in this post-December the 1st, December 2nd election results. GDP has fallen by 20%. Household poverty has risen. Total debt has actually exceeded over 100% of GDP, which essentially Mm -hmm. means that the Gambia is technically insolvent and broke. So as a result, you've got Mm -hmm. high unemployment rate amongst the youth, and -hmm. they are expecting to be given jobs, job creation and other things like this. So the expectations need to be managed. Not to now speak of now trying to put together whether it's a truth and reconciliation process, whether it's a a court um, that is going to be trying um, um, the most serious crimes. I mean, all of these are challenges um, that are intertwined and interwoven um, within the body politic and certainly within our social fabric that I think Barrow has a major challenge um, to try and manage moving forward, and obviously he can 't do it alone. Um, there are lots of experts out there, like your Article 19s there. Mm-hmm. there are others like your Human Rights Watch, your Amnesty International, that have been doing a wonderful job in um, documenting these things, but then it 's not only about the human rights element alone that can fix a broken Gandia. Um it's also you're looking at the economy you're looking at mm-hmm. the civil society you're looking at civil society, looking at the civil service, and you 're looking at really elevating the, and prioritizing areas for fundamental reforms so Mm -hmm. that you can have a greater knock-on effect in having a positive impact in the shortest possible time. And this is where the challenge is.
1: Mm, very much an interesting view That you bring there, Jorgen, And I want to take it to you for two Because what was actually very much Surprising to me Was seeing some of the reports That were coming out And the criticism that came out When we saw the exit of Yaya Jame Was when he was being Actually accused by A bearer aid of taking $11 million from the state coffers Before leaving for exile In Equatorial Guinea I heard that uh, and another report that came out from one of uh, the TV networks that was saying that he also left with some of his cars and other of his some of his personal belongings but that's worrying to see such a poor state and um, you know and seeing that kind of irony uh, taking place for two
2: yeah as uh, Jagan said I think uh, the, the economic situation is very worrying but uh, on uh, his analysis uh, on, on the different uh, uh, components, uh, I think it's uh, quite right that, you know, and it raises further the, the, the need for, for urgent, urgent measures urgent measures, and also to, 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 to show that uh, President Barrow and his team uh, will, will have to, to work harder and also to ensure that uh, they, they, they identify the key priorities and try to address them. But I want to come back to the hopes. So I touch on them very, very, very well. Uh, people have hopes. Hopes. Of course, the government cannot create jobs for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you accept, and especially the young people, to create an enabling environment where people can use their creativity to, 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 to start uh, 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 using their talent and, 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 and also have hopes that they can stay in the Gambia. You see, over the past few years, so many young people left the country because there was no hope. And now many people are going back. If we are here in Dhaka, every day people are just packing their bags. They don't have anything there waiting for them, but they say we're just going because we know that things have changed and we will reintegrate our country, we will reintegrate our profession, some of the journalists, and we will start again. And those hopes have to be managed. And all those expectations also have to be managed. So the government, the hundred 100 days will be very important. What kind of message? Uh, President Barrow and his team are going to put forward to ensure that they and um, they keep engaging those young people. Also the other thing also to ensure that they will fast track some of these reforms. It's very difficult when you are K take a government yeah, to do yeah. everything. But you need to put in place frameworks so that people can see that we're going somewhere and in the long in the uh, at the finish line that something can happen. But if you move and you try to manage everything, you may not get your priorities right and you may also fail. But we're thinking that there are still areas where you will have to really focus and put the right people. We think that because we are in transition, you need to put the competent people, the credible people that can pull things together. If you are in an economy that is dying like what is happening in the Gambia you need to put people who can pull back the economy, who, can, who have the trust of their partners, and who can mobilize resources, and also who have credibility to make sure that they manage. Jagad mentioned a point that is very important, corruption. Corruption has been rampant in the old regime, and if you have a transition that is not taken care of that, you will have a problem, because also corruption might continue. That is why it's important to get the competent people to manage the economy and manage the the, the other reform sectors, but also to have credible people, people who are committed to this change that we fought for all these years to ensure that this situation will yield, yield some, some positive results. The other bit that I want to also mention yeah, yeah. about uh, about uh, this process is that we need also to be inclusive. We yeah, need to be inclusive, yeah. like involve the youth, yeah. involve the youth, because they are the future. They have talent, they are creative. Use also the, the dividend of new technology, but importantly also ensure that you have a gender balance, which we are very, very worried about at this moment because we really believe that also the, the, what the prospect today, the government will, at least the first batch of the government uh, uh, will, be, will be announced, but we are worried that there are not many women and the young people. That is also something that uh, has to be looked into and really we think that uh, there are corrective measures to be taken in the long run to ensure that everything is balanced. But credibility and competency will help the Gambia to move on because as I mentioned, Gambia has a lots of, lot of, lots of people across the world who can help the country, and some people are already eating, so you have to tap from all those expertise within the country and outside to quickly move uh, forward and ensure that you manage the expectations and you deliver quickly on 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 certain 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 key areas.
1: Mm. Well, that's the voice of Fatou Jacques Ne who is joining us from Dakar, Senegal. She's the West Africa Regional Director of Human Rights Watch Organization Article 19. Also on the line we've got Jurgen Gray Johnson who's speaking to us from Johannesburg. He's the communications and advocacy officer with the Africa Governance and Monitoring and Advocacy Project. want to stay with them. what are your thoughts? Remember you can give us your thoughts on our Twitter handle at channel Africa one that's at Channel Africa One. What are your expectations? for Adama Barrow, uh, the new uh, president of the Gambia that's at Channel Africa 1. Give us your thoughts on that particular platform. It's 11.32 Central African time. I'm going to stay with my guests. I know that we're going to come into this area of uh, Adama uh, Barrow's uh, presidency. I've read some few articles and uh, heard some of his interviews online. He's been speaking a lot about secularization of uh, uh, the Gambian uh, society, taking away the phrase that was introduced by Yaya Jameh which is uh, the phrase Islamic and saying that uh, the, the, the republic is not a Islamic republic it is the republic of the Gambia also speaking about uh, uh, press freedom bringing back that environment of freedom of expression and uh, free press those are the areas that he's been starting to speak very strongly about so we'll be speaking about those areas when we come back after this <laughs> to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue, where we bring experts into the, our discussions from Monday to Thursday, looking at the big topics on the continent of Africa. And today, we've got the opportunity to speak to Fatou Jagne, who is joining us from Article 19, which is a human rights uh, organization. She's the West Africa Regional Director. Also on the line is Jegan Gray Johnson, who's becoming regular on our program, and uh, he is uh, joining us from the Africa Governance and Monitoring and Advocacy uh, Project. I want to come to you, Fatou, before I move on to Jurgen Gray and pick your brain on our first impressions of Adama Baro. It seems that he wants to secularize and also uh, really enforce the democratic reforms within his uh, uh, turn. I know that uh, he's very popular as a personality uh, because he was also uh, Chosen by a coalition of seven opposition parties that have endorsed his candidacy for the 2016 Gambian presidential election. What are your first impressions, uh, Fatou, of uh, the current president of the Gambia?
2: Yeah, first of all, I think, uh, uh, as you rightly said, you know, he has the, uh, the endorsement of other political parties, which is a good thing when you start, especially in difficult situation, at least you have the support base seven political parties uh, supported him to be the unity candidate. The unity candidate means that you are a take, take a government, but also importantly you are non-partisan, which I think we need in a transition, like to work along, uh, to work towards the national interest and not along party lines. I think that is if something that everybody is expecting him to continue to do, well, let's hope that, uh, you know, the political party pressure will not change that dynamic. So he has that kind of uh, 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 good start. Now, also, he understood, and he, he already reiterated it, that, you know, he was elected because of the joint effort of all Gambians. And this election was about Gambia, one Gambian looking forward to unity. And I think that is also something that is very important for us, for all Gambians, because the country was divided. It was divided along different lines. And the point that you mentioned earlier about uh, the, the nature of our system, I think that, was, that is a pillar. If you know Gambia, it's a very diverse country. But like the religion, the, uh, the diversity between, and then the, the linkage between Christians mm-hmm. and Muslims mm-hmm. is, 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 is so strong. It's so strong. And, you know, when you touch that fabric, you 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 destroy, and mm-hmm. he was trying to do that. And Gambian stood up, and I think that is also one of the things that defeated him, because people don't like those kind of things. And what you see now is just made an announcement. Gambia was not uh, a, a republic, uh, a Islamic Republic. It was a mere announcement from the head of state who had all the powers. It, went, it never went through the National Assembly. The constitution mentioned that Gambia is a secular state. Mm. And that he unilaterally decided that Gambia became an Islamic republic. That is going to be reversed because it's not constitutional. Mm -hmm. And I think the first declaration from the president said that Gambia will remove an Islamic republic, I think that's a welcome move. Mm -hmm. And we don't need even to do any other thing. It's just to reassure people that this is the way we are going and this is constitutional. So there's no revision to be made because there was no... No, 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 no law the, to, uh, that, uh, that, enacted, that was enacted. The Constitution would never change. Mm. So mm. That, that is one thing. The other aspects, of course, we know that uh, President Obama managed to stay all these years because he manipulated all the laws. He controlled the judiciary to also enforce all those bad laws. And those major ones are those laws that tie for expression across the board. You have, like, uh, dozens of laws. If you look at them, they were all geared to ensuring that public space is shrinking and they close all the space and freedom of expression was, was muzzled. So now, the, the, the task ahead of all of us is to ensure that reforms take place. But in the meantime, to ensure that violations of those rights, especially freedom of expression, will be allowed and people can express their views mm-hmm. according to the laws mm-hmm. and ensure that also mm-hmm. people have now new freedom. And those freedoms must be exercised. In the meantime, reforms will start. And mm. we expect this new government not to use those bad laws to start stifling uh, expression when, when they things are critical against them. Because we you know reform will take time. It's not overnight. But we want them to commit. He mentioned it already, but we want all the governments to commit to freedom of expression and transparency, access to information, whilst we are working towards reviewing the whole legal framework to ensure that we strengthen. That, uh, that space and we strengthen also those freedoms and entrench them in the constitution because the constitution also needs to be reviewed in certain aspects and we want those principles to be also included in the constitution and strengthened further to ensure that nobody in the future can uh, jeopardize those important rights uh, that Gambian fought so hard yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, to, to get back.
1: Mm. let me move to you Jurgen. I think that question was comprehensively answered by Fatou. I want to move on to just uh, the perspective of uh, elections and I think this has done a lot for Africa in terms of our position on democracy and our elections and the people's choice. The outcome is seen as a case study for how African uh, national regional and continental uh, leaders with UN backing can come together to enforce a legitimate electoral decision. Uh, do you believe that this is the case as well. Jigen?
0: Yes, I can hear you. Um, Can you just quickly repeat the question again? I was just
1: saying that some people are saying that this could be a case study for a real good example of uh, Africa's decision on uh, their stand on elections, the people's voice and democratization. Uh, You know, when an African national continental leaders come together to enforce a legitimate electoral decision, do you think that this is the case as well?
0: Well, it's a yes and a no. Sure, um, it's, it's, it's a yes because again, um, the continent and certainly the region Ecowas had to deal with the consequences um, of letting a really bad situation deteriorate, which was Gambia. Gambia has been um, in the doldrums for uh, you know for many years. Certainly for the last five years. Certainly, definitely two years leading up to the elections, it was in a very, very bad space and uh, there was certainly not enough there was some pressure but it wasn't enough um to basically push jame to start rethinking um his his his, his bad ways moving forward um secondly also The Election Amendment Act, for example, since you just asked me the specificity on on elections. The Election Amendment Act 2015, which was passed um, in in, in June of 2015, which basically looked at pricing out um, political opposition, um, shrinking the space for participation, um, making it completely ridiculous when it came to political party registration, in effect really just ring-fencing the contestation of power and reducing it down to one particular man, which was Yahya Jama himself. Clearly, this was challenged, and as a result, I think it was obvious that it was untenable and it was practically impossible to enforce. But having said that, Gambia is not the only country in Africa that has tried and tested these methodologies mm. of, on the one hand, pretending to be a pluralistic democracy and opening up a space for participation and, 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 and electoral contestation, sure, sure. whilst at the same time turning around and putting everything that you possibly could get away with mm. by using your majority, whether it's your National Assembly or your Parliament, to pass laws that are, in essence, actually illegal. But because Mm -hmm. you have a a majoritarian democracy, and because you're going to go by the numbers, you're going to go ahead and do what actually suits that particular person or that particular incumbency um, to ensure that um, they they get a second or a third or a fourth or even a fifth bite of the cherry. Mm -hmm. The issue of term limits needs to be taken serious. Mm -hmm. That's that's the crux of the matter here. Mm -hmm. It needs to be taken seriously. And currently what is happening, certainly in the last four or five years, this authoritarian recidivism whereby we've been rolling back on any semblance Mm, of mm, gains mm, that were made, mm, um, what's consolidating a democratic culture mm, and basically putting a premium on a democratic dividend mm, hasn't happened. mm, And the worst case scenario that you've seen of this particular impunity and uh, the lack of tolerance uh, mm, for for pluralism has been Gambia. The mm, good news is that Gambia is not Burundi. At mm, the end of the day, President Jammer didn't get away with it, mm. and so people moved on. But let me just say quickly, very quickly, on the issue of, of the battle, the, the, the um, Boris things moving forward, mm. I, I think you should expect, because of the bad experience that Gambians have experienced themselves, mm. you should expect that a government that is coming in is probably going to hit the ground running. And my feeling is that some of the major things that they needs to start doing, apart from internally, is to look externally. Um, it is good for us to join the, 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 the international community again. We're going back into the ICC. Well, we never really left, actually. We just gave an indication that we would leave. Mm-hmm. So that process is going to stop, and we will stay in the ICC. Um, we would basically go back into the Commonwealth, and... Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously then you know the normative framework at the continental level and the standardization i think needs to be consolidated gambia has missed an opportunity to join the africa peer review mechanism mm-hmm. it needs to do so now because that will actually help barrow fast track his reform processes especially when it comes to constitutional making which is fundamental and pivotal if gambia is to get out of the dark corner that it has been in for the last 22 years it also needs to get into the african convention um, on, 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 on um, preventing and combating corruption. We need to ratify that document pretty urgently. And obviously, more importantly, the democracy charter. Gandhi has signed it but refused to ratify. Even though the actual I mean—that the charter is in force, we need to now lead by example. And Barrow needs to put his money where his mouth is to ensure that he is ready not only to lead by rhetoric, but to lead by action. So well, these are some well, of the fundamental things that he could do mm-hmm. to be able to, to basically aid reform policies moving forward within the country.
1: Well, that's how we're going to wrap it up. What a fantastic conversation and great commentary from both of our guests. Thank you for your participation. Thank you to Fatou Jagna from joining us all the way in Dakar, Senegal. I hope the weather is great there. I hope the sun is out. Joburg is a bit uh, cloudy here. for two. how's the weather there? No, it's great. It's great. It's a nice weather. Thanks oh, for inviting us. And fantastic. thank you also for great perspective, Jagna and my brother. Thank you. thank you very much. Thank you, thank Thanks you very so much. much. And thank you as bye well bye. to you, Jurgen, for giving us your time here in the cloudy Joburg. And uh, uh, Fatou Jagné is the West Africa Regional Director at uh, Article 19. And Jurgen Gray-Johnson is a Communications and Advocacy Officer at the Africa Governance and Monitoring and Advocacy Project.